John Wesley could have concluded his covenant prayer after the first line, and it would have been powerful enough to simply say those opening words, I am no longer my own, but thine, would have in itself transformed one's life, altered one's worldviews, shifted one's paradigms, made a person more like Jesus, just after that opening line. But Wesley doesn't stop there, does he? You've read the prayer enough times by now to know that Wesley is just getting started. And by the time he is all done, he will not only get to meddling in our lives, he will offer us one challenging phrase after another. Today's portion of the prayer includes a double punch to any of us whose faith is comfortable and relaxed and not threatened. Wesley's next two lines include these words, Rank me with whom thou wilt and put me to suffering. My guess is that it's been a long time since any of us have earnestly prayed a prayer which has included a plea to God to rank us among the lowly and to put us to suffering. In one fell swoop, Wesley defies our selfish ambitions and keeps our egos in check. To say to God, I am willing to let go of any need on my part to be great in the eyes of other people. And I am willing to let go of whatever is comfortable in my life in order to work for what is eternal. My sense is that that is not our inclination to include those things in our prayers. My sense is, after last Sunday, we have acknowledged that our default mode is to pray to God like a vending machine indeed. And not at all to pray that God would rank us among the lowly in our culture and to let go of all that is comfortable and easy in our faith. And if you were to look deep inside yourself today, you might discover that there is a very real part of your life that would identify with the fact that you are having a hard time learning either of those lessons, either releasing your selfish ambitions or letting go of your comfortable faith. And if you realize that today, here's some news. You are not alone. Because there are two people, two people who can identify with every word, James and John. On the surface, James and John seem to be making a very reasonable request of Jesus. After all, they recognize that the time is coming soon when Jesus is going to be marching triumphantly down into the gates and through the streets of Jerusalem. Presumably, he would ride into a wave of popularity that ultimately would result, they believed, in an overthrow of the oppressive Roman Empire. And then Jesus would then ascend the throne become the preeminent power throughout the empire and put an end to all of those oppressive taxes and defy all of that religious oppression and persecution and to restore human dignity for the Jews. And everyone believed that Jesus was going to arrive soon and that he would become the next political king. And everyone knew, especially James and John, that once Jesus assumed the throne... 
he was going to need a number two. He was going to need a second in command. He was going to need a cabinet, if you will, of chief advisors. And James and John wanted to make sure that they were in a prime spot to be Jesus' running mate. In other words, they wanted to be the next Secretary of Defense and the next Secretary of State in the new Jesus presidency. Pick us, Jesus. We want to ride into power with you. But the most astonishing thing about James and John's request is how ridiculous the timing was. We didn't have you hear what happened a few verses before the scripture reading today, but this exchange between James and John and Jesus happens right on the heels of Jesus telling all of the disciples the most sobering news ever. In just a few verses earlier, Jesus says to the disciples, I will be handed over to the chief priests and the legal experts. They will condemn me to death. They will hand me over to the Gentiles. They will ridicule me. They will spit on me. They will torture me. And they will kill me. And then three days later, I will rise again. And it was right after Jesus dropped that bombshell that James and John said, Ooh, ooh, we'd like to be number two. Unbelievable. I love the way preaching professor Tom Long describes the absolute absurdity of James and John's request in the context of what Jesus had just told them. He writes, as Jesus imagines the scene, he, Jesus, is the tough, battle-hardened sergeant about to order his men into combat hunkered down in the trenches and the bullets are whizzing overhead and the only problem is the soldiers in his squad happen to be named Mo, Larry, and Curly. Just as their valiant leader cries, okay boys, over the top, and begins to climb out of the trench himself as one of those three stooges pulls on the hem of his uniform jacket and with a goofy grin on his face, he says to his leader, we have matching ties and blazers. We can sit on either side of you. If you look at James and John's request in a larger biblical context, their demand is ridiculous to the point of absurdity. Absurd indeed. And it would be funny, it would be funny if it weren't so doggone prevalent in our culture today. The James and John mentality is so widespread throughout our culture and our society. It's like a viral infection that spreads throughout our culture. The need to one-up the competition. The desire to be greatest. The desire to draw attention to oneself the drive towards self-adulation and seeking number one. It is embedded in our entire cultural consciousness. It is something that we all share, whether we recognize it or not. It is our default mode as human beings living in the 21st century. It is a viral infection to our well-being. We always strive for number one. And if you have a hard time believing that, well, consider how we see the James and John mentality in nearly every aspect of our political and economic and personal lives. 
like political candidates vying for votes, like corporations competing for market share, like vendors competing for more customers, like opposing ideologies fiercely arguing over abortion and homosexuality, like red states battling against blue states, like anything, anywhere that threatens to split and divide our culture and our communities, even our churches and our relationships. The sum result is that we live in a society that appears to be more polarized than ever before. James and John embody the kind of warring divisiveness within people, between people, and even within ourselves. This isn't just some story about two brothers wanting a promotion. Oh, it's much deeper than that. It speaks to the wider problem in our culture today. This is a story about our human tendency to fight against one another and to compete for superiority. And then, and then comes Jesus. You've got to love his response. Jesus says to them, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus tells them. You are completely missing the point, he says. It is not about one-upping the other person. It's about serving the other person. It is not about eliminating the competition. It is about striving toward cooperation. It is not about being the greatest. It is about being the least It is not about winning, Jesus said. It is about losing yourself to the kingdom of God. It is not about being first. It's about being last. In a sense, Jesus is telling them that it is about being a child. Instead of warring and fighting and dividing and conquering and competing, it's more like being cooperative and creative and imaginative, and playful, and collegial, and cordial. In fact, Jesus' words are so foreign to James and John's mentality that the best way to describe Jesus' response to these two disciples is by showing you a video metaphor of what happened in a particular rugby game in Australia not too long ago. I'd like for you to imagine that James and John's request is like being two competing rugby teams, brutally going after each other to see who is greatest and who would conquer who. Now, imagine... Jesus' command to serve instead of compete being something like a child running out onto the field, a little boy out there, vulnerable in the midst of these big, brutal, brawny, and scary men. Maybe, if we believe Jesus' words at all, A call to servanthood and cooperation might do something like this to transform a cutthroat and competitive world. It's what little boys often dream of, playing their favorite sport with the biggest stars. 
And for this youngster, that dream came true after he pitch invaded a charity rugby match in Australia. The four-year-old found himself facing a scrum of rugby legends as he became the center of attention after wandering onto the pitch. Luckily, the players played ball with their new arrival, and with a little help from the opposition, he went on to try his luck against the Queensland legends. As he got close to the posts, the boy tired, but luckily one of the Queensland players picked him up and carried him over the line to the touchdown. After scoring his try, he certainly stole the show, and it seems the hearts of his new teammates. That is what John Wesley was seeking when he penned these two lines of the Wesley Covenant prayer. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. In other words, Wesley was asking God to remove from himself any James and John tendencies that might have existed to help him redefine his priorities away from seeking power and self-adulation for himself because now he was willing to be ranked with either the high or the lowly. It didn't matter. And Wesley was even willing to suffer for Jesus, to let go of his comfort zone, to be released from the comfortable aspects of his faith in order to be used even in the most difficult, most risky, most dangerous situations, regardless of what other people thought of him, regardless of what people did to him. That was the heart of Wesley's prayer. Put me to doing and put me to suffering. I love this paraphrase of a series of 30 days in the life of John Wesley. This comes straight out of one of his journals. Now, consider what happened during this four-week stretch of time in which Wesley chronicles all that he endured as a result of taking the message of the gospel out to the people. The first day, May 5th, Sunday morning, he writes, I preached at St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday afternoon, May 5th, preached in St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday morning, May 19th, preached in St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday afternoon, later that day, May 19th, preached on street, kicked off street. Sunday morning, May 26th, the following weekend, preached in a meadow. Chased out of meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. Probably my favorite Wesley story. Sunday morning, June 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. How about that for the 30-day stretch of time? You think you've had a bad month? Nothing compared to John Wesley. Four straight weeks, one failure after another, one episode of suffering for Jesus. He prayed that God would put him to suffering if God's will be done. And indeed, he suffered for Jesus. The James and John tendency would have tempted Wesley to give up, give in, stop serving, go back to a comfortable faith. 
and start being selfish for a while. To start taking some shortcuts and easy paths on his spiritual journey. But what if Wesley had done that? What if on the afternoon of June 2nd, after having endured 30 days of miserable suffering and humiliation from people who did not appreciate the faith message of John Wesley, what if on Sunday afternoon, June 2nd, he would have done that and given in? Well, then he wouldn't have written this next entry. Sunday afternoon, June 2nd, in the afternoon, preached in a pasture, 10,000 people came out to hear me. The first will be last. The last will be first. You did not come to be served, but to serve. When Wesley talks about surrendering to God, folks, he really means it. Not just the triumphs and the good times, but he is also willing to set aside his own James and John tendency and release them and allow God to use them in whatever way, even if that means being subject to humiliation. So I want to ask you, there are a lot of forces competing today for your attention and for your priorities, competing for your time and your energy and tempting you to lay aside your spiritual commitments in order for a more relaxed faith, a more comfortable faith. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand and say the Wesley Covenant Prayer once again and to say these words, put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt, put me to doing, put me to suffering. And when you say those words, if you choose to say those words, Say them with the intention that you are going to put God number one in your life and you are going to stop striving to assume that position yourself. And maybe, just maybe, in a culture and in a time where it is expected that you would compete for greatness, God's call to servanthood might enter your life like a child on a rugby pitch. And you will never be the same again. Let us pray together. Oh God, teach us what it means to be a servant. Defy our tendencies to do otherwise. Forgive us of those moments when we have put ourselves before you and others. And help us to be a servant to all. In Jesus' name, amen.